to the Super Plumber Brothers, the podcast that covers the game Super Mario 3D All-Stars. I'm your host, Anthony Cortez, joined by Ben and Luke. Last week, we finished Super Mario 64's first level up to the first Bowser. This week, we cover the levels up to the second Bowser. Before we get started, I thought we can kind of talk about... uh, Koji Kondo, who has been one of the backbones of um, making games at, at Mario. He's, you know, held up as one of the most influential uh, composers of, of all time. Um, there's not a lot about him. Uh, there's not a lot of interviews that he does. Um, but of course, if you're listening, uh, he's the composer to Super Mario. Super Mario 64, uh, pretty much all the Legend of Zelda games, uh, Star Fox, uh, Punch-Out, and, and, and kind of works in and out of mainly all Nintendo games that are, that are made. So uh, basically what I wanted to, to begin the podcast with is uh, talking about what he brings to uh, the Mario games and kind of the history and how he got started. So he obviously Jap- Japanese. Um, he studied at the Osaka School of Arts um, in game and art planning. Uh, he says that at an early age, he began playing the electric organ um, and kind of worked his way up to playing with um, synthesizers, but he was never classically trained. Uh, and it, a lot of this was self-taught so as he got older, he started uh, listening to a lot of Japanese jazz bands. Um, one band in particular uh, is called T Square. Uh, I and know if them. you if you listen to T Square, it sounds like a Mario game. <laughs> it's just it's just like uncanny of how uh, <laughs> like yeah, no. how 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 a Mario game uh, how all Mario game and all all of Koji's um, music is influenced by just honestly two bands that he really enjoyed listening to. And then he uh, uh, covered their projects throughout college. So he basically, you know, applied to Nintendo and got the job. He's kind of like this very, if you it, listen to the interview, he's a very, you know, simple guy. Like he's just like, yeah, I did this and I did this, I did this, I joined Nintendo. And so when I was researching um, how he works with the team, basically uh, it's Miyamoto or, or another fella uh, just has him look at the game. He might compose a song in a weekend. He says some songs take him a matter of minutes, but it's more of like the themes and the ideas that he gets uh, putting into um, the composition that he, he focuses on throughout his, his work process. So. A little bit about how he first composed um, the iconic Mario Overworld theme. He exactly. Uh, he looked at it in a vent. In his, at first, it was very airy. It was, it was very like ambient because he looked at like the grass, the noli, the knolls in the background, and he just kind of uh, you know made something kind of light. But then his composition changed to match the jumpiness of Mario. And actually, I went back into sheet music 
and you know looked um, for for things that were unique about it. And uh, it there's not a lot of this this thing in music. You know, you slur um, uh, notes together to create these ideas um, in the composition itself. But he doesn't use those. It's just a lot of just standalone kind of these jumpy. Uh, chords and he he says that this was the case because when he was um, at Nintendo he started working uh, with the Famcom and the Famcom was Japan's um, Nintendo system before uh, the it's, NES uh, ca it's, came it's out. Fam Famicom, not to Famicom. Be too oh, that's all right, Famicom. And so there wasn't a lot of channels to work with. So, and the harmonies were extremely bright, I guess, uh, according to him. And so he uses um, these chords that are more spaced out. And I won't get it too much into the technicality of it. But he, he's, he says that this is kind of how his sound got, got, it, got started because it, it was a technical challenge to work um, on this, you know, system that, that didn't hold a lot of inf information, essentially. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of the, the background and the history um, of, the, um, of, of Koji Kondo. In addition, he says that uh, a lot of his um, pieces revolve around Latin and Portuguese type music. Um, and he refers again to, um, you know, early or 80s Japanese jazz bands as well. And you could really, really hear it in, especially I would even say today's Mario games. Um, you see a lot of those uh, harmonies and tones come through um, in his work. So it, it was interesting reading about him and it was interesting uh, thinking about the music as I was, as I was playing this week. So I'll open it up to you two. What do you all think about that or... Do you have any insights or, you know, anything about uh, Kondo's work? Oh, well, I was just going to say, uh, it's interesting. I mean, you, you bring up like these uh, Japanese jazz bands. And I think that jazz in general is a pretty obvious sort of influence that's going in there. You have a lot of these sort of quick uh, tonal modulations going on. Um, but interestingly enough, I think, at least for me, I, I can't I can't speak to the history as much, but... I always think when I when I think back to the the compositional style of those really older Nintendo games, the one that came out in the late '80s through into the '90s, um, it, it actually seems to follow a lot of the same trajectory as the the composition and film at the time. Uh, especially if you look at like uh, you'll have you know like one of the songs in uh, in in Super Mario 64 that I forget the the name of is this song that you have uh, while you're racing um, Koopa the Quick, and it goes like... And you'll notice that it has that kind of leitmotif uh, vibe that you uh, associate with John Williams and others and uh, others of that totally. ilk. But it also has that kind of point-counterpoint style of like you have the melody coming in with an initial sort of established... Um, sound and then you'll have a second motion that kind of comes up underneath it and you, you so you see that dance coming back and forth and interestingly like you know that continued in nintendo games through the 80s and 90s i think that's less the case in a lot of the games they put out now but it is still kind of an audio tradition that they've continued um in contrast i think to a lot of other 
you know, uh, audio design and, and compositions that you hear contemporaneously. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that you brought up John Williams because uh, as I was, you know, thinking about Koji Kondo and his style of composing and, you know, why the limitations of the Nintendo slash Famicom, Famicom, Anthony. Uh, Famicom. <laughs> why, those, uh, why those came up. Uh, the most important thing about his music, why it's so memorable, one of the reasons anyway, is that like John Williams, you can whistle it. Uh, and that's not always true about like these big, huge, bombastic compositions. I mean, you can remember almost any tune that Koji Kondo has made for a Nintendo game, but it's really hard to remember most theme songs for games, if the game even has one, in the past 20 years. And it's because you don't have those limitations. You can just make this big sweeping orchestral thing and you can't, you can't remember the tune, you can't remember the melody because it's, well, it's more complex. Uh, John Williams is really great at that. Or they sometimes the composer has a deliberate uh, intention to focus more on a texture, and that's more like like Hans Zimmer style. Like they're thinking more about like what is the texture of this more so than this being a memorable melody or something like. Oh, that's yeah, definitely I, I, true. Yeah, I think um, something that he didn't bring up is something that I, I was thinking while you were all talking is just there's also a lot of ragtime, which as you're saying, like whistling you know, the, the uh, tune and, you know, make the cre creating memories <laughs> from the music, you know, that, that shines through as well. Um, not just in 64, but, you know, especially in Super Mario uh, 3 um, in Super Mario World. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of these, like, uh, ragtime uh, compositions. I and, think, you know, there, there's I think like we this, all like, know specifically the ragtime composition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think just you know creating those memories and also working with this this jumpy character you know it's it's just it's just like a he's kind of just like this pop musical genius in a sense of just like he knows what the audience not only wants <laughs> but like what matches the environment and makes the character come to life and we're gonna talk about it in a second but I was thinking about it during the uh uh the aquatic levels you know these undersea levels of, mm -hmm. of just you mm -hmm. know without the music it doesn't even seem like you're in water like if you mute the game you're like i'm just kind of you know moving through space it's just this blue yeah. space yeah right? but you add the music yeah. and you're like this is like what now it feels like would... exactly yeah, it feels like water uh that's right. that's another thing too uh and I, i'm not i'm not totally sure if this was intentional but i really hope it was because I mean, because Koji Kondo was a very good composer, and I hope he thought of this. Uh, you know, there's the sound when Mario jumps, the boom, boom mm -hmm. kind of sound when he jumps. Uh, so the Mario theme is written, I mean, it could either be, you, you can make an argument that it's written in 4-4 or 2-4. I like to think of it as written in 2-4 as a march because it keeps a steady beat to keep you moving forwards. But it's also written in a really syncopated way if you time it out in 2-4 and uh, that's actually really helpful for the player because it makes the sound of Mario jumping not seem out of place because the tune is already syncopated. You're absolutely right. I've, I'm learning the overworld theme with my uh, piano teacher right now and that's that's pretty much you, you hit the nail right on the head. That's what he does. Which it's is, I mean, but he, that is, it's, it's a brilliant brilliant way to write a song and like to make 
something no one would have even thought about in, in like 1988. Like, does the background music help you play the game? But it does. Right. And that's... He kind of just brought it to the table, too. Like, his first game was Punch-Out, and then maybe a couple games later, it was the Super Mario Overworld theme. And this is just... He just thought it, he just thinks about his music, and I think that's kind of the genius behind it. He really doesn't have any like, you know, his, his, in, in the interviews that I was able to find, um, you know, he just he's more of a thinker, and it doesn't seem like he's trying to rattle off like all these composers or people or or, or histories that you know sometimes mu- musicians bring to their process. He just like you're saying, Ben, he thinks about the, what the world requires what the audience will like and then he composes it which is pretty like like yeah. just a pretty like pure process you know just just thinking about what he does yeah well i, I want to say one more thing on this um is that i when i i when i think of the original super mario brothers i i think of three songs which is obviously the super mario brothers theme uh, and then the dungeon theme mm-hmm. which is the which is in my opinion one of that's probably my favorite mario song and there have been so many iterations on it throughout the years we'll actually talk about one of the levels that uses that theme this week um that i had kind of forgotten about the that iteration of that melody but i i love that melody um well first let me say the third one the third one i think of is the underwater Mm -hmm. theme which is <laughs> that one in the in the underwater levels in the original Super. This is Bravo. weird. That I'm just kind of doing them out, but <laughs> but um, I, I I like it's fun through Mario 64 to watch you know the progression of him as a composer. Obviously, you see all that stuff on the uh, original 8-bit system, but then in in Mario 64, like I mentioned earlier, that race theme that he has that almost sounds like something that could have been put out by like Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tunes <laughs> or something. Like it, it's this kind of funny, uh, yeah. Um, but because you know the the actual technicality of it is really impressive as well. Just from you know, obviously, I imagine most of it's just MIDI sounds. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's recording it, but still, I, I imagine there was some some amount of performance involved in the initial creation of those things. Maybe on a keyboard. Yeah, or there actually like uh, there wasn't. There wasn't any actual recorded Nintendo music in a game until Zelda Skyward mm-hmm. Sword in about 2007. It was all MIDI before that, so they were limited at first by oh, wow. on the on the oh, original Nintendo by uh, three channels of audio, three tones, and then on the uh, on the Super Nintendo, I think it was ten. Don't quote me on that, but yeah, no, it was it was all MIDI. So, and they had to create those. Um, now we're getting kind of maybe too technical, but it's a fun to talk about, of, uh, you know, basically the shapes of the instruments that they wanted to, to do, but just because, you know, nothing was out there, like, to create the banjo sound in yeah. Super Mario World, you know, he's like, I had to, like, think about what a banjo shape looks like, like, that's wave shape, and I want I need to create that instrument, and he's like... Like the LFI. Like the yeah, right. and yeah. he, he was, like, talking... There was a, it, the interview is just so short, but it's just, like, everything that he said, I was just like, this is this is crazy. This is, you're just inventing stuff, and you're, invent, you're composing with your inventions, and you're also creating kind of, like, this, you know, video game musical, uh, you know, backbone that kind of a lot of games to this day just rest on top of these these like very simple but yet revolutionary 
ideas that, that he brought to the table um, in, in these early years of, of, of Mario. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, I, I don't know what else to add to that. It, it's really crazy to think about just how impacted the entire like cultural lexicon of, of video game audio is by the original Mario and the original Zelda. I mean, it's vital. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of a, I don't know. It's, it's this medium's version of like the Superman theme, the thing, like you didn't even realize that it was synonymous with the thing, but then once you heard it, holy crap. I mean, nothing else is as synonymous with video game music as ba da ba ba da ba you know just like uh well i mean just like superman's theme is still pretty dang baked into the whole superhero genre of film even though it was just a first pass by john williams you know there had right. not really been a superhero movie before that and there hadn't really been a good character defining theme song for a video game before Koji Kondo did the the Mushroom Kingdom theme. I would. I mean, I think Pac Man comes to mind. Can you can wait? Can you whistle the Pac Man theme? I, I don't want to do it right now. Ah, okay. <laughs> no, I, I understand. That's <laughs> the thing. Yeah. It's like it it comes to mind, but it but it's, uh, it's, 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 it doesn't. I mean, it's it's your, what you're describing is just like the how iconic it is. It's just it's the, it's the most it's one of the most iconic songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not. I, I mean, like during during the twentieth century. Like, I, I don't think. I think arguing that is just like putting it out there. It, you can't. Oh, really I actually argue against it. Uh, I don't. I don't know what just made this pop into my head, but uh, I remember reading an article in uh, in Time magazine. Oh yes, I am that cultured. Uh, where they were talking about the most influential people of cool. of the millennium, and it was at the turn of the millennium, and uh, the top two, if I'm recalling correctly were Michael Jackson and Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. That's funny. All right, so let's get into let's get into the levels. All right, so last week we played through the first, I'm just going to call them acts, first act of the game, uh, which is you basically going through the intro levels uh, getting a taste for the controllers, the the sprites, the the puzzles, and of course, it leads always up to the first uh, Bowser boss um, face-off, basically. And so we played through that section. In this section, we went to we went to Bowser Two. We're gonna call him or Lava Bowser. And so we're gonna talk about Big Boo's Haunt, Hazy Mazy Cave. Uh, Lethal Lava Land, Shifting Sandland, Dire Dire Docks, and the Bowser 2 level and face off. So uh, I got PTSD just hearing those names. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll just start with kind of our, our first impressions. Um, this is for me is the best part of the game. Uh, the game does get harder, but it doesn't get, it's not as fun. And it's the the uh, levels aren't as inventive, in my opinion, as some of these, um, some of the levels that we went through this week. I also just in general enjoy the idea of exploring the dungeon or the basement part of the castle. Um, I think it just is a 
this gritty atmosphere, but for some reason it's still kind of warm uh, as well. And you complete your cap challenges. So you have all three caps in this uh, section. So that part for me, just going through uh, the metal Mario cap world and the, uh, I guess the ghost Mario cap world was just, it, it was just delightful. So I, I just loved going through this week and playing some of, you know, honestly, one of, some of my favorite Mario levels ever designed. So it was great. What did you all think? So um, my, my big takeaway this week uh, last week, I was talking a lot about how I liked levels that felt interconnected and like every piece of the map was connected to another piece of the map. Um, and that's why I particularly liked the very first level. And I also liked, um, oh, what's what's that other one that you, uh, oh, the, the snow level. I forget the name of the snow level from the from the first act of the game. But anyway, uh, I, I will echo what Anthony just said in that I... Um, I have not played these levels for, you know, 15 years. I don't even think I got to this part when I played it on the DS. I don't, I don't remember doing that. But uh, I have a memory of these, but I haven't done it in a very long time. And I genuinely love almost all of these levels. There's one that I'm a little sour on. And the reason that I love them is that they find more and more ways to make good on the mechanics they've already introduced and allow you to explore the entire areas in very inventive and fun ways. And they really encourage you to be inventive of like, how are you going to complete this challenge? You see this star up there. There's a few ways you can get to that star and just like play around, see how you're going to get over there. And I, I love that about all of these levels a lot. Um, so we'll get more into them each individually, but I think my favorite part is just how interconnected these spaces feel and how encouraged I felt to play with the mechanics to discover different ways of getting around and, and doing things. Oh, totally. I 100% agree with that. And that is probably, uh, that's probably Shigeru Miyamoto, the, you know, the creator of Mario and the main designer for Mario games, at least up until 64. Uh, that's probably his biggest strength is just creating a space where the player feels encouraged to want to get better for no reason other than it's just fun to play. Uh, like he's, he's really great at that. Um, except for racing that damn penguin. Oh, that penguin. He haunts my dreams. <laughs> I love the penguin race. It's... Oh, I hate that penguin race. I, I, I'm so I, bad at it. <laughs> my palms sweat every time and I just, I want to go keep going faster. Is the penguin well, yeah, race. of course you want to go faster. That <laughs> penguin is out for blood. Okay, so we're going to start with um, Big Boo's Haunt, which actually is this odd level because you don't have to... So when you, when you beat Bowser, he turns into a key, and the keys unlock the new act of the game. And Big Boo's Haunt, you don't need the key to get to the courtyard, which is like the backyard or the, I don't even really know. I can't even think about how, where it would be in relationship to the castle. So it's, uh, you know, this big courtyard space and there's all these boos, uh, you know, kind of dancing around. And then you get to, you know, figure out how to kill a boo, which I don't think you can do. 
up until this point in a Mario game. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think no, you I, I don't die think until until 64. Oh, that's that's not. I don't think I that's think entirely right. true. I think if you came into contact with a Boo in Super Mario World when you had a star, it would die. But I don't. I'm not sure, sure that ever that came happened? up in the yeah, actual game. I was going to say that might be the that might be the only case. But I, I think, think this of. one was designed intentionally to to kill Boos. You know, like you, they're they're designed to die to collect coins. <laughs> And so you kind of get to play around with, with the boo uh, before you even step into the world. And then you've got to figure out, oh, this bigger boo has the world in its, in its I don't know, ghost body. So you do a, you do a I'm gonna ground pound. I'm going to say ghost butt. A ghost butt. It's a, the, there's like, there's yeah. a birdcage haunted yes. mansion in his ghost butt. And you've got to ground pound him <laughs> yeah. to, to get into the... You have to punch a ghost in the ass to get in his yes. ass. God damn right you do. That's what dad did. That's what America does. And it's worked out pretty well so far. So you, 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 you kind of like, I remember when I was a kid, I had to really think about these things and to figure out how to jump into the level. And once you do, it's just like this, this thrilling experience because I think all the other I can't think about the game. The levels are coming up, but I think this is the only level where you jump into like the birdcage, and it's not a painting, you know. So there's there's something that's special about about this world. Um, so I love kind of the. I'll kind of get started with the thoughts of, of this uh, level. So the tone of this level is is incredible. You know, it feels. I think now we're playing like in October. It's it's Halloween season. Like I kind of felt it, not just in in the air. Uh, but you know the, the atmosphere that's created this like creepy, um, uh, you know this creepy music, this like creepy female choir synth, uh, these little boo laughs and noises. The 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 wooden merry-go-round has this dark circus tone to it, you know. And um, I just really I like that, and I like that it was a little more challenging than the intro levels, especially when you kill the big the big boo for the second time and you've got to figure out how to jump onto the roof and, and, and you know climb your way to the star you know so this this level was was good I, I really enjoyed uh, playing through this one yeah one thing I noticed in this one is there's a lot more moments where the camera is fixed um, which at first kind of annoyed me but actually once I got used to it uh, there was part of me that thought actually maybe they should have done this a little more often because once you just kind of accept that they, that you're just kind of being guided through this little space with a fixed camera, you almost play it more like you would play the original Mario game. It's just that you have, you know, more more space to move in because it's three-dimensional. So um, I actually thought that, in, except for a couple of small instances where it could get pretty tight, I thought the fixed cameras worked surprisingly well in the halls of Boo's Mansion. Um, that was one takeaway I had. Um, I, I love the music that you brought up, Anthony. This this kind of contrasts what we were talking about earlier with Koji Kondo. This is an example of a level where the music is really focused on the texture a lot more than the melody because, you know, I can't hum this one, but but it's very haunting and effective. The first thing that jumped out at me is when you jump in to this birdcage, you see Mario get small and then the level loads up and... Uh, Love the atmosphere immediately. Immediately you hear this this wind, and it's like really yeah. loud wind. It's like, and it's just blasting through. And the first thing you see directly in front of you is just this big mansion. There's not a lot of decoration. I love the minimalism of it. Um, and 
and then and this like shack off to the left, which immediately was I was like, I'm gonna go explore that shack. Um, oh, and I one more thing is that I love that it looks like you're in a birdcage. <laughs> like if you look around, there's just like these walls, and you're like, oh, I'm yeah, I just jumped in a birdcage. That's where I am. <laughs> um, so I like all of that. One thing that I thought was really interesting, and I don't know if this is a consequence partially of the hardware or if it's also like a stylistic thing. When I went into the uh, shack and I went down, the music kind of changes and evolves it a little bit, and you hear these kind of hollow bangs. It's like kind of sounds like somebody hitting like a low cymbal in a different room or something like that. Um, and the atmosphere, just in general, that and a combination of a couple other things that are difficult to pinpoint, reminded me a lot of. Uh, some of the creepier parts of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, uh, which came out two years after this game. So I, I wonder if there was a little bit of kind of atmospheric influence going on there where, like, we want this to be creepy, but it's not a horror movie per se. But um, so those are some of the big things that jumped out at me. So um, just to interject real fast. Um, so I also felt there was a lot of similarities between Zelda and this level or some of the levels that we played. Um, so I, I researched it, and they share the same engine, uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, and obviously Major, uh, Majora's Mask, which would come after, and N64. So they're being, they were being developed at this... At... Majora's Mask. <laughs> they're being developed at the same time. And so if you actually... there's a We should look for it um, this coming week, because apparently on the second floor... And I didn't... I want to find it, so I didn't research into this, but... Um, there's notes from Ocarina of Time, like musical notes in, in the second level. And so that's just, you know, Kondo's already thinking and, and the team's already thinking about the Legend of Zelda game as they're designing Mario 64. And so, you know, a lot of the tones, the atmosphere feels similar, especially this level in the Temple of the Dead. Um, in, uh, Shadow in Temple. Shadow Temple, excuse me. Uh, so, so that's, that. yeah. I actually was specifically thinking of yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no, no. That's actually really interesting. Uh, and I was not aware of the little Zelda Easter egg in mm. the upper floor of Bowser's or Peach's castle. Uh, so this is actually a level I don't have a lot of input on because I consistently forget that it exists. <laughs> um, so actually now, just now, I was reminded that it exists and that I should probably go play it. You didn't play the level. <laughs> no, I forgot about it. I forgot that that's what, I forgot that that's what the big boo in the basement is for. Like I, he all he led me out to the courtyard, and yeah. there was this there's this whole conspiracy theory that lasted for years and years and years, and kind of still lasts to this day, where Luigi was supposedly in Mario sixty four, and the courtyard that Big Boo leads you into um, offers you all kinds of clues. Namely, the statue in the middle of the Yeah, fountain. I vaguely remember yeah, that. Yeah, so of how to unlock Luigi. And so yeah. that's what I remember specifically because I'm a goddamn just geek for, you know, video game Easter egg conspiracy <laughs> theories. Uh, so right. that's what I remember about Big Boo is he leads you into the Luigi <laughs> courtyard where it turns out it's totally fake. Um, you know, very, very mm. early on in development, Luigi was supposed to be in Mario 64, but no, he's, so we... not. he's not a thing. So we went over Luigi's history in Mario 64 last week. And so, if you recall, we are talking about that Luigi was in the game. It was designed to play, be a two-player game. And Luigi yep. was actually one of the last things to be taken but out. They, right, but they couldn't, um, uh, they couldn't program the camera exactly. well enough, Or at least the processor couldn't handle two cameras at once. 
so there's a there's a YouTube video about uh, what you did. Um, so this guy like analyzed, you know, it, it deconstructed that specific fountain, and there's just no trace of anything. What it is is it's just nothing. It's just a texture that they put to look like a plaque in the courtyard, oh, yeah. and, it, and it's just and like, there's there's no there's no rhyme or truth or reason to the, I mean, the that, rumor. They've they've, they've it in both like this like really really advanced like ai for you know blurry text and trying to make sense out of it for things like honestly for things like police work where you know you have a really low resolution security camera and you want to read like the tag on someone's luggage to try and get a clue of where to find a bad guy yeah they put like that texture through those and it's in in japanese and in english and yeah it's just nonsense <laughs> So I guess Luke is. Yeah, we'll have to get your thoughts on this level. Next <laughs> I guess. Week. Yeah. Sorry. Do you, do you Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> have to come back. Oh no, no worries. Do you have any closing thoughts on Big Boo's hunt? Um, I have one closing. Yes, I have one closing thought. My favorite part of this entire level, just from a design standpoint, is when you find the attic, like you were talking about earlier. I didn't remember that that was there. Um, I just started that level. And I kept being like, how do I get up there? Because I forget what the name of the level is, but it indicates that you need to get up to the balcony somehow. And uh, then I just, yeah, I was really peeking around the rooms and then like doing that wall jump, it was very satisfying. I mean, like, oh, you can get up here. I do have a question for you, Anthony, though. How did you get to the very top of the roof after you beat that second so it Is there something I yeah, don't know about? So this is... It's it's just a difficult thing to do. I've played this game so many times that it's been hours of trial and error. So essentially, you're on the big on the mansion. You're on the top. Once you kill the boom, uh, mm -hmm. uh, or you have that boss battle, which is awesome, by the way. Like it's just a, such a tight space. You know, you've got to hit the boo three times, but you've already practiced yes. it the first time through. And then you know, once it he dies. Uh, the star appears on the very top of the mansion and what you have to do is on that little platform you do the Z um, I don't know the Z jump you know the long jump and then you jump to that corner you actually have to run up to uh, a part of the window uh, the, the roof with the window and then you've got to do another jump and the camera does get fixed and you've got to like kind of like imagine yourself on this very small piece of wood as you as you make your way towards the star it's a it's a it's a difficult star to, to get it's very difficult yeah so i i that's basically i did it slightly differently but i just did like a triple jump over to the second spire and then i can't remember if i did just another or maybe i did like a like a like a sideways flip or something I got to it, but it took me many, many tries. I was like, is there something I'm missing here? Or is it just like a, they just were like, you just got to do like a weird shitty jump and figure it out. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, the design idea there was though. But yeah, that was my favorite part of Boo's Mansion was that last part where you find that secret. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that. I think the thing that I didn't like, and I'm going to talk about it just throughout the game, I think at... The, the, the opening levels are fine with this, but the idea of collecting three of something, like hitting those three books, and then it comes back with the treasure chests and the water levels, and I think it happens again. Hey, spoilers! And, uh, you know, 
it's it's just something that should have been taken out. It's not wasn't much of a challenge. Uh, so I, I wanted. I just don't want those three do three things and collect an easy star. Um, but all the other stars in the in the in the level, I I did enjoy to some extent. So the next level is is something that Luke brought up with uh, this being his his one of his favorite Mario songs of all time is in Hazy Mazy Cave, uh, and so Hazy Mazy Cave is this this great level because it's like a hedge maze, you know? It's right, like a, it's, it's a bastard. It's a bastard, but it's 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 just so fun. <laughs> I, I love getting lost. Like I still get lost in the in the level you know like it's just hard to navigate and to and to have the added pressure of choking to death from this hazardous fume you know like it's just it's just awesome i love that as a positive just but you could also just choke to death (laughs) you could also just you know choke to death and die and so we see um the first time we see dory or dorothy who's this like loch ness blue loch ness monster um, they kept the original design, which I was grateful for um, in this game, because they redesigned her for the DS, and then uh, she has different, um, you know, cameos in other games now. Uh, so they've redesigned her with like a, a Yoshi-like face and, and goggles. Um, but this is actually her first game, and she's just like this realistic Loctis monster, and you just have to figure out that you've got to like hurt her to get the star, which I didn't know when I first played the game. And oh, there's actually, there's a sign that tells you uh, to bonk her back to, <laughs> to get her to lower her head. Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, which I didn't, which I didn't, I didn't I did know. not read that sign, and I did, I did not read that sign until after I'd already gotten yeah, the star. Yeah, me too. I was I like, oh, that's what I was oh, supposed well. <laughs> to do? That would have been way easier if I just uh, hurt an animal. <laughs> Uh, and, and then the last thing I'll bring up is uh, uh, it's the first, or it's when you get your um, Metal Mario cap as well. So those are those are the big things, the, the big things that happen within uh, this level. So now I'll open it up to you all. What did you all think about the level? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I will say I, I I do like the way the music is introduced because at first you're just kind of hearing this nice sort of clingy drums it almost sounds like maybe a a a, 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 a triangle is kind of ringing out sometimes but so i like that and then you you keep moving through the level and then all of a sudden you hear that um that dungeon theme come in so i really like i like this rendition there's another rendition of that song in super mario odyssey that i really like as well um so yeah i, I like i like when they play with their themes and try to do something different with them um Overall, I, I like the atmosphere of this level okay. It's uh, I, I like that it um, initially when I was talking about levels being interconnected, uh, I like that this level plays with that idea a little bit and it tries to do it more like an actual maze where this is an interconnected level, but the way that you get around it isn't just being good at platforming. It's by like really observing the environment and then you find like, oh, if I wall jump off of this this hazy wall down here, then I can, you know climb across this scaffolding and then I can drop down into this other part of the level. So I like that it does that where it's still interconnected, but it's more about you observing the environment and figuring out where things are. Um, uh, I, I think most of the stars in the level, I think were not particularly memorable if I'm being honest, but I think that navigating it is a lot of the main, um, 
attraction here. I, I agree that uh, I, I like that the, the dinosaur kept the original design. I didn't even realize that. I thought it was just supposed to be a dinosaur. I didn't realize that it became like a Mario character. Um, I will say that I probably soured on this level a little bit because I'm self-punishing and I've been trying to do all the 100 coin challenges. Oh, and the 100 coin challenge giant. in this level is a pain in the yeah, ass. Yeah, it's... You um, have to collect the so, red yeah, coins. I, I, that, I, I think to, to moving yes. forward, if you all are doing that, no. just doing your 100 coin challenge what, during your red coin uh, star is probably the best option to, to go. Yeah, that's what I was doing, but the problem is that you have to also there you a lot of things have to go right. There's not much wiggle room and you have to really go around the entire level because if you even if you get every single coin down in the like bottom right basement section that you can go towards, you still won't have enough for the for the coin star. So then you'll have to go up into the upper left portion. And there's so much fall damage down in that red coin cave. And if you're not super careful, you will fall. And so I probably, I got to like 98 coins and then died like three oh, times. No. And then I went, oh, that's I love so hearing hard. that. <laughs> I love hear, hearing how you fail. <laughs> oh, man. I, I wasn't happy yeah, about but it. I wouldn't be either. How'd you and feel about I'm this not. level, Ben? That's why I don't do the 100 coin challenge. Uh, actually, I really like this level, not because, like like you said, Luke, not because any of the stars are particularly memorable. In fact, they're they're almost all pretty forgettable, except for the one where you have to ride on the Loch Ness Monster. That's actually quite sweet. I, I really like that star. I do. Uh, but mostly what I really like yeah. about this level is that the attention was paid so much to the level design. Like, they really, I mean... I think they probably named it before they designed it, and then they were just like, "No, it's a maze." And then, but but they're good enough level designers that you actually can get around like really well and really consistently and really quickly if you want to, if you know the level well. And that's just—I mean—that's fun. It's fun to to learn a level. No, I I agree with uh, kind of the analysis of of the stars, um, but I think besides uh, Dory. Just because, you know, <laughs> I think I think she is I, iconic. Well, it's Dorothy, Dorothy. She goes by some of these weird names. Big monster, blue water I'm monster. I'm going to call her Big Monster. Big Monster. Um, but <laughs> Big it, monster. it kind of like fills your, it takes that adventure part, you know, especially with the boulders, you know, running. Mm -hmm. You have to run in between the boulders. And you have to, uh, you know. Oh, see, you, that part's you, very thrilling to me. Yeah. I love like, that. Like it was, it's great. And then just using this, I think this is where Mario, they're, they're pushing kind of his movements, like not his, his jumping and his running movements to the, to, to the brink, you know, because there's a lot of jerkiness, especially in, in the maze part of the level. And then there's a lot of, you know, flipping and there's a lot of jumping on, onto these like hidden platforms or just like barely making it, you know, where you, and you, you can potentially fall off. Um, these ledges. So, I thought I thought you all were right in, in analyzing that at least the level design was was done well um, for this for this one. Uh, yeah, sorry. It's uh, it's truly unique amongst the other levels. I would say uh, it, it's like many of the levels. Um, although they are, there's generally very good variety. Uh, a lot of them are good for very similar reasons, and this one has 
things that make it good that are similar to some of the other levels, but it's truly unique in that it is like it's truly a maze. Like they try to they have these weird holes that lead back to other parts and you have to climb up this weird um uh pylon to get to this other spot and uh and I think that's that's part of why I enjoy it even though it's it's not necessarily my favorite of all of these levels we're talking about but I like that it's truly its own and experience. what we didn't talk about and, and to to finish off the level itself is uh you know the the second star or the first star it really I guess it really doesn't matter um is when you get the metal mario cap and the metal mario cap level is a good level it's you, it's where you feel like powerful you know I think the metal mario cap itself has become its own little cult Especially oh, Super Smash, Super Smash Brothers. You know, you'll go on YouTube and there'll be Metal Mario fights and see how much damage each opponent could, oh, man. could, could rack up. So it's kind of this like iconic cap in, in inside of itself. And I think just because like, you know, you get it has mm-hmm. all that those qualities of like the the star, but it feels more powerful in in a sense. You know, it's like this this idea of invincibility kind of feel like. Um, you know, an X-Men character or something, but you're playing Mario and it has all this Mario physics with like an X-Men I would say, as well. I would say Colossus for Colossus. the easy metaphor. Exactly. But no, you, you're 100% right. Because like the star didn't make you feel any different as Mario. It just made enemies feel weaker. But the, but the metal cap, you're 100% right, makes Mario feel stronger. And that's a huge difference. But it's also like wildly empowering while you're playing that game. Because those enemies are dangerous. And not the least of which because Mario controls a little funky. But, you know, then again, it was a first pass for a 3D movement engine for Nintendo. So that's understandable. But, man, just, I love the metal cap. Like, especially, like, even the level getting to it. Yeah. Where, like, you finally hit the switch and then you get the metal cap. And, like, you've gone through this, like, you know, weird lake underground thing with all those enemies and you know you've kind of like avoided them because it's easier to dodge them than fight them but then you get the metal cap and it's like no no just you can walk out now don't worry about it just walk out and see what happens to those right. enemies and it's like oh man i feel good any thoughts on the, on the metal mario cap luke yeah um i uh well, as soon as I get it, I'm immediately just like, oh, yeah, I can go back to Jolly Roger Bay and get that Whirlpool that's star. Exactly so that's right. the first thing that's I did. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I like the I like the Metal Mario cap, although I will say it's been my favorite since I played it originally. But I think this week I might have been convinced the, to like the flying cap more. I think that might be my new favorite cap, and I will explain why when we talk about the other Okay, levels. then we'll move on to Lethal Lava Land, which doesn't have a flying cap, does it? It does. It has a weird flying cap. Okay, so yes, it does. Mind it that. does. Uh, so it does. for me, this is kind of one of the levels that could have been just the greatest level like ever. Uh, I think what prevents it from being from being good. So the Lethal Lava Land is just, you know, it is a Lethal Lava Land. Like, it is exactly what it should look like, feel like, the, the you know, this like these, like, Middle Eastern sounds are, are echoing as you're playing. Like, you know, it's it's just a, it's, it's a really well-designed level. Like, it looks pretty. Um, and I love the volcano aspect of it. Like, that's, that's definitely my favorite part when you 
plunge into the volcano and you're trying to navigate this kind of tight space and you're you're trying to you know uh pull volts to uh to get your star um but as far as collecting stars i was done with it in like 10 seconds so it just yeah. like I, I just didn't i did it i wanted to love this level so much but it's just so easy to obtain some of these stars that it just like it it, it kind of misses its mark um so to speak but that's that's i'm I sorry think. you said it's easy to obtain the stars in lethal lava land i i think so well sir we are playing two different games <laughs> i hate that level that level's hard for me so, t so t talk to us about uh your challenges no no i don't want to <laughs> Uh, my biggest challenge is actually in fine control of Mario. This is something I've actually been running into a lot, and it's something I'm glad they fixed in future 3D Mario games, is that uh, when Mario has any momentum at all, and it could be like, you know, 0. 0.0001 momentum units, whatever the game uses to calculate it, he doesn't turn around. He circles around, which mm -hmm. makes him run off ledges a lot, which especially in Lethal Lava Land, that has really done me in quite a few times. And it's it's felt more frustrating than fun because it feels like that's not my fault. It feels like it's the game saying, ha, you didn't play it right instead of me not doing the right thing. Which is, I mean, it's a problem I have with Mario 64, but in general, I'm actually pretty happy with how playable and how fun it is to play as Mario in the game. I totally agree, and I will say that that is... Um, most of the, the criticisms I have of, of design in this game harken back to the camera, but this is a unique case where that exact thing you're describing I've run into, and I run into it most because my kind of go-to high jump is yeah. the side jump. And um, I've, I've been playing Mario Odyssey, and I haven't played Mario Sunshine yet, but my memory of Mario Sunshine, well, I have played it, but just not, yeah. not as a part of this series. Um, so my memory of that game and my feeling about uh, both Galaxy and Odyssey is that the side jump is super responsive. And in this game, the issue is that he has to have such a precise amount of momentum, and it's very not clear when you've crossed that threshold. So sometimes I'll be trying to do a real quick side jump, and uh, then he'll just like do this wide-angle turn <laughs> that you're yep. describing, and then I'll fall off of something. That is, and it's the one time where it's uh, it does feel like I appreciate that they tried to give him a little bit of weight, but. I've, everything else is so momentarily responsive that it, it does feel out of place how much of a weird wobbly turner he is when you're trying to very finely control him in a small yeah, area. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that said, though, Lethal Lava Land, one of the most fun times I've ever had, you know, and I found myself just like, you know, white knuckling my controller and like, no, no, come on, I'm doing better than that, come on, uh, is when you have to like, you know, bully the three, you know, bombs off of that big platform in the middle of the lava lake. And you're just like, how can I do this to three of them? One of them is so annoying. <laughs> but then when you finally do it, it's just like, yeah. Oh, I got it. I earned that star. Like that was, that was genuinely fun. No, I, I, I the addition of the bully bombs, uh, 
is is awesome. I, they, I really they, wish they, they would show up in more Mario games. They, they feel exactly how they're named. Yeah. Like a bully, just yeah. you know, not responsive. Like pisses you off. Like it's they're tough to to just handle, and they're just like pests essentially. You know, and it it just keeps hitting you. You know, and you're like, stop, stop. Right, and it, and it's timed just so well so that like if you just try and stand there and be like like stand your ground, punch, yeah. punch. If you miss one of them, nope, it's just gonna bounce, bounce bounce you right off the edge yeah and it's and just I love, like a bully and i love killing them like it's just great to just like expl- have them explode into the lava yeah. and you're like yes <laughs> I, I accomplished something just by killing this this bully you know i especially and, love how like you push them off the edge and you hear the that <laughs> and then like just a second goes by and you see one coin just right up the edge and, and you're just boink, like boink 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 and you're like yeah i take your lunch money that, that actually, and I know you don't collect the hundred coins, Ben, but um, maybe Luke can, can talk about it because my favorite star to, to get is um, I, when you have to get the hundred coins because then you hop on the shell, the turtle shell, and you get to navigate around the whole course and you get to take out all the bullies, you get to, you get all of the coins, and that I, I wish it, the level incorporated the the turtle shell um, more because then the the whole map becomes expansive. Um, and and you're controlling Mario, and you're using that turtle shell in a very intentional uh, way. So that that was my favorite part of the whole level was riding the turtle shell and collecting the hundred coins and bullying the the bullies <laughs> with the turtle shells as well. Yeah, this this is actually this is my favorite one of these five, and actually I think it's my favorite level in the game so far. So it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, you guys have a slightly different reaction to it, but what I love so much about it is. Uh, remember when we were talking last week about um, uh, what is that level called with the the Marxist block on the top? <laughs> what was the name of that level that we were talking about last week? Womp's yeah. Fortress. Yes. So um, I remember last week I, I voiced that Womp's Fortress kind of uh, bothered me because it was structured so much like a level. Um, but I like the idea of having more platforming oriented levels and i love what they did with this one because the the whole level truly is a platforming challenge but it's just a big box where like all of the platforms are interconnected so you can choose to go in any direction and it becomes this really fun self-created challenge of like oh can i long jump from this spinning wheel over to those shifting tiles and then you can and it feels really good to try and like break the level up and rather than just going down these discrete paths that they laid out like kind of disobeying and uh so the first couple of stars when you're bullying the bullies uh those are fun because you get to i love the shifting platforms and that they all go in so many different dynamic directions and they shift and they'll shrink and the lava will move around on them so you have to be paying attention while you're jumping around um and then you know after those first couple of stars as anthony already alluded to you unlock maybe it's after the first three stars i think it's after you do the rolling log part actually um you unlock this turtle shell and yeah exactly what you were saying the hundred coins in this level is my favorite because i love just rolling around this entire level and then eventually i crash the green shell and i'm like damn and there's this uh flight cap over there and i grab the flight cap and and then I can fly around from there and collecting all these coins. And, and I love uh, not only the volcano inside of the volcano, but the act of getting into the volcano. Because either I can ride the shell up, which I did that once and I fell in that way. Or you can take the flight cap. And, and uh, the flight cap I, I, is fun because it's, it's, 
kind of difficult to control and it always feels like you're losing control but i like very slowly flew over the volcano i was like am i gonna make it and then i did a spin stomp (laughs) a stomp and i just like fell in using the flight cap Uh, and then you know i tried to challenge myself to do it to do a triple jump directly into the volcano and i managed to do that so i just love how many different ways where it's like you have this level that's really prizing like actual platforming but then it's also still finding ways to let you just play around in that environment uh and then when you once you get inside the volcano it's like just a pretty standard but but fun platforming a couple of platforming sections and so yeah i just love how interconnected that main space is and how much it's like you have this direct platforming space, but you can break up those paths and you can, you know, split between them. And then we, you give, we give you this green shell to play around with. And it feels really high stakes because if you crash, then you're going to light Mario on fire. Um, so yeah, I love this level a lot. Yeah. Like I think with the Mario on fire, that's something I'm going to bring up with uh, Bowser too. Uh, it's just, I love, it's just funny. It's funny to have Mario fall into lava. He he grabs his ass. You know, he's running around. There's smoke coming out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you lose, like, quite a bunch of life. Like, you know, you, you, you feel it. You feel, you feel kind of, like, yeah. his pain. And you, you're, you're like, I don't want this to happen again. But sometimes, and we'll get to this in Bowser 2, you can use that. You can use that to get to other... Uh, spaces um so uh i think just what you said luke and and going to to using this idea is of the of the sandbox um it comes up uh definitely in the next level or the next um level hypothetically uh shifting sandland um so this is my favorite level of the entire game um because of you know it just has it just has kind of everything that I think the the game want wanted to do within this level. Um, I think that the the music's very satisfying. I think each challenge is is difficult, even on your you know if you've played it twenty times. Like I found a lot of the challenges, you know, difficult. You know, even if I knew how to navigate how to get to the star, you know, I. Uh, using the the wing cap and getting to the four pillars or or you know i the last star you've got to like trust that you free fall right you know to get some of these secret uh points in the map um and i think the environment in general just fills you know it's supposed to conjure up this exotic location you know this imagined um you know egypt that we have in our collective heads you know, and, and it, it, it kind of does that, um, uh, and, and it pops out in, in that sense. So I, I really, really enjoy Shifting Sandland. All right, you made some very good points there, but the only thing that actually matters about that level is that the vulture can steal your hat. <laughs> <laughs> Did you let him steal your hat? Because I, I had to let him do it. Oh, of course. I mean, that's like, that's like 101 stuff. I mean, you, you get to that level... And then what, what I especially love is how you keep your hat being gone when you leave. And then when you collect a star, how Mario usually like doffs his cap and puts it back on and smiles. <laughs> his eyes sink. Like when he doesn't have his hat, his eyes sink and he's like, uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> I love that. 
that's such a nice touch. It is. So um, there are several things I want to talk about with this level. Uh, Anthony, this, I also completely love this level. It, it's, it's very, very close for me with Lethal Lava Land. It, uh, I love them both for so many similar reasons. Uh, although this level, I think, definitely prizes the exploration a little bit more than the platforming, which I think works very well for its design. But there still is... There are still parts where it's like, uh, but, but you know, what I keep hearkening back to and what was part of my main takeaway is this sort of interconnected spaces that encourage you to explore them and, experiencing, and experience them at, in your own ways. And, you know, I think of all of my favorite video games, uh, at least in this kind of broad tradition, maybe, I guess you could say, where they're very focused on that fun sort of kinesthetic feeling as you're exploring this area and uh, and fighting these enemies or whatever you're doing. And, um, yeah, so I think about this, uh, this level in particular, and there's so many spaces where, um, for example, the, the first of all, you have those rolling rocks, and you can try to get inside them. That's kind of the safe way to go. But you can also just rocket across those spaces and you can break that up that's kind of a standard platforming challenge where it's just like i don't want to wait for this stupid rolling cube i'm just gonna go across and and that feels risky but it's fun and rewarding and it's it's a way that the game lets you create your own challenge um and then i love you know you can do a triple jump onto that platform and it's hard to do but you can do it and that's like a way you can create your own challenge or you can run over to the you can jump off the head of one of those little spinny guys and float down that way. Or you can get in the cannon and shoot your way on that way. Uh, and then once you get the wing cap, what I did uh, to collect those, to get on top of those, to get all the red coins was I shot out of the cannon with the wing cap and was flying around. And it's super unwieldy because you're going so fast. But that's kind of what's fun about it. And then that star on top of the pyramid where you can jump on the pyramid, and that's kind of the right way, right? But I also just took the, the, the wing cap and just shot out of the cannon and just steered into that star. That was the kind of way I ended up deciding to do it. So I love, love this level so much for... It just puts the stars there. It just puts all of the elements... And it just says, go have fun. You can take the shell and you can ride across this quicksand. And oh, one more thing I want to bring up is that I think this might be the first iteration of the video game hand boss with eyes trope. Hmm. <laughs> um, I did not remember this boss in this game. I totally forgot that this was a thing. I associate that trope yeah. with Zelda a lot. And I, I'm not 100% sure that it was not in, in Zelda A Link to the Past. I can't no, remember it wasn't. for sure. But other, I, I was looking it up on... No, no. It wasn't? Okay. I think this might be the first iteration of the eye, bo eye hand boss. <laughs> I can't think of another game that did it before this. So that's interesting in its own right to me is that this trope that Nintendo's used a thousand times since it's, it's in super Mario 64. And yeah, yeah, well, apparently Shigeru Miyamoto had a really bad nightmare one night and it stuck with him. About, <laughs> about a hand, a giant yeah. hand. <laughs> this level, believe it or not, I actually did play. So there's a surprise. Uh, this level, uh, I'm not totally sure why, but there, there are two levels to me that, like, exemplify. When I remember Super Mario 64, I remember the very first level because 
it's amazing. And I remember the sand level. I remember the the, the desert sand level because it's so much fun to navigate. Like it just it just genuinely is. It's hazardous and it's and it's and it's challenging. It's precise and it's rewarding. And you can do a lot of wacky shit if you just don't care about throwing your head at a wall until you break through it, which I like doing. So, yeah, I mean, I love the whole design of the inside of the pyramid, too. It's just like it's it feels like the inside of that pyramid could have been a level to itself, which it kind of was. But we'll get to that in another mm-hmm. episode. And well, it didn't work so well that time. But yeah, I mean, just how many ways they give you to to just navigate this this whole incredibly treacherous desert. You know, you can shoot yourself off in a cannon with the wing cap, like Luke said, or or man, it's just yeah, you dance around those big slamming blocks as they come on their patterns, and no, no, it's just great actually. I don't, right. I, I don't have a ton to add to this, but I just wanted to say that I love this level. No, I think what you said with the hazards in this game, which I think for me, the hazards are only as bad in, I forgot what the level's called, but the clock level, you know, there's like so much that can go wrong at any time in this level, uh, which is, which makes it interesting. And I think what you all have been saying, taking, uh, you know, risks, creating your own challenges, but you know, Almost everywhere that you step, you're going to sink into something, you're going to poke by something, you're going to be stomped by something, you know, like, at every turn, there's just something that's going to kill you. And I just, (laughs) I mean, that's what creates an interesting uh, game, and especially in this genre, is is that, you know, you've got to be careful, but you want to have fun at the same time. You're like, how much fun do I want to have? How careful do I want to be? How fast I want to collect the stars, you know, and and th- this is just, again, what we're saying. It just kind of, you know, it, it shines above a lot <laughs> of other levels um, in 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 the game. I I really do wonder why that is specifically because I mean it's it's obviously it's on par with most of the other levels, but I feel like when I talk to a lot of people about Mario sixty four specifically, they remember the sand level. And also Lethal Lava Land, because that one's, you know, really hard. But people remember the sand level as being both difficult and really fun. And I'm just, I'm I'm always so curious. I'm not totally sure why, but I'm always so curious why they found that balance of, like, absolutely lethal challenge versus rewarding fun in that level in particular. And, I mean, they definitely replicated it a couple of times in later games, which... I'm sure we'll get to, uh, but in this one, you know, I, I really do think that they uh, they hit on something there, sure. and uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't have any insight. I just like it. I agree. I think one one of the things that they do so well is that the if you, if you really just obey the the level's basic design, it's it's just challenging enough that you'll probably die twice, right? Like it's not insanely hard if you just go directly into the cubes and you just i'm just gonna stay on the main path and wait for the cube to pass by but it it's like fun to do it that way but then it's like just challenging and enough that you're gonna die a couple times and it asks you to wait just long enough or do just enough inconvenient things that you're like all right i can i'll i can do this faster 
And so it like tempts you to try and come up with those fast ways to get through it. Another part that I think of is when you go into the pyramid, you can, um, the kind of official way I think is that you would jump on top of that kind of womp cube that's coming down and that's how you get up into the second level. But, um, I got tired of doing that because I had to like walk all the way around every time. So what I started doing is that there's this, there's this platform with the pole on it. And I'm like, you know, I think this platform is just low enough that I can triple jump up there and you can. <laughs> and it's, it's like things like that. And, and then even when you get up to that next level, there's these rising and falling platforms where like, the easy way would be to just step on one, wait for it to go up, step on the next one, wait for it to, and then just kind of walk up them. But you can, if you time the jumps well, get up that really, really fast. And so I think it it it, it finds this really good balance between like, it's it's not so inconvenient that it's tedious and frustrating if you do just want to do the simple way, but it's enough to challenge you to be creative to step outside of that, and then and then you know especially with those shifting cubes you can end up dying more so it's like that it it tempts you and then you can get uh punished by your own greed and then you have no one to blame but yourself and i don't know there's something there's something really successful about this level in that way i think so this is the dire dire docks level juxtaposes everything that we just said because uh, <laughs> it slows like like you know Lethal Lava Land and Shifting Sandland, like, there's a lot, uh, obviously, you can do, jump, fly, hit, bully, like, all these, like, you know, <laughs> you know, actions uh, that you can do, and then you're just tossed in this, again, fishbowl, and you can only do one thing, which is swim, until you collect uh, the coins, bad. you know? So, I think, um, like I said at the beginning of the uh, show, what saves this what saves the water levels is the music. Like what, what it, it's just, it's just great to experience this, you know, soundtrack that, uh, you know, it's not very long, but it is so atmospheric. It, it, it feels like what crystal clear water or being in an aquarium should be. I think when I go to a, an aquarium like the Denver aquarium, like this song plays in my head because it just represents, you know, water at, at, its, at its purest. The, the level mm-hmm. itself, you know, it's fun. Uh, you know, but it's not uh, something where you can do a lot or you can test the limits of Mario because you're you're just you know you're pressing A. That's that's all you're doing for most of the game or most of the most of this level. I agree. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I understand the the impetus to get an underwater level. If you have an underwater mechanic, you want to use it. Sure, I, I completely understand that. But I, it's still a problem. What? 25 years after that game came out uh underwater still doesn't feel quite right unless the whole game is built around it or i would argue there's some uh you know like a what are they called like Star Fox, a rail a rail runner oh uh, on rails on On rail you know where that underwater level is fun i think there's a lot to shoot oh the the Star Fox submarine level yeah I, yeah, I, that's one that that's one that a lot of people don't get to because you have to play every level perfectly to get to it. Uh, right. But you're right; that actually that, that actually is a really solid level. I mean, it's it's laggy and it's dark and it's weird, but it's also different and fun. 
Well, because the controls are still there, and that's my point. Mario loses his... his yeah. yeah, right, totally. Yeah, but you're right. You're right, Anthony. It's, it's the fact that in Star Fox, the controls stay roughly the same. It's right. just the, like, the timing and the momentum of it feels different. When in Mario, everything is different underwater. Yeah, and then at the same point, and then, sorry, Luke, I'll, I'll, I'll let you jump in, uh, or you jump in whenever. Uh, there isn't anything to do with the second half of the water part of that level. Like, in the first half, there's all these animals and, you know, the, the um, chests and the vortex. But in the second one, there isn't shit. You know, there isn't coins. There's that one star. You know, there's the, the rings, and there's just, like, not enough is being taken advantage um, if you want your level to be underwater in, the, in this level. And I felt, you know, this kind of like emptiness, I guess, when playing it. And, and you know, it, it just wasn't my favorite. Yeah, I don't I don't like this <laughs> level. Yeah, I don't I don't like this one. Um, the music for me doesn't quite save it as much. And also, I'll say that it's not just the music with. Um, uh jolly roger bay that that music is excellent but also that there's a real sense of identity mm. to jolly roger bay that it has this very specific atmosphere and these kind of green rocks and pyres that are coming out of whereas when, when you first jump into this water you're like okay where, where am i going here and then it says bowed board bowser's sub and you think it's going to be like this kind of epic thing, but and nope. it's not. You just got to like swim past this dumb shark <laughs> and through a tunnel and then just like jump on a time platform <laughs> and then you're done. And all of the stars, I, to be fair, I should I should mention that I this is the only level that I didn't get every star. I think I got three of them. I got the one. Actually, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did I get four? I got the treasure Luke, I don't chest I don't mean to cut one. you off here, but I'm going to. You have every star on every level up until Jolly Roger Bay. You mean Dire Dire Docks? Up until I Dire mean Dire Dire Docks. Yes, I do too. I'm just gonna what? Throw it out there. You guys are lunatics. Oh, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I think I have. I think I have 73 stars. Lunatics. Right now, right now. I have. 32. <laughs> I need to I see the, Yoshi. I want to see if there's I like a special the, Yoshi in this version or the There's the definitely not. Oh, I'll I'll disabuse you of that notion right now and I'm sorry I have to do this. I truly am. This is emulated. Like when you first download the game or put the game cartridge in, uh the Switch tells you you have to download something before you can play it. And what it's downloading is an N64 and GameCube and Wii emulator. So Holy they didn't shit. actually change any code. You're just actually playing a ROM of the original game. That makes me sad. Makes me sad too. Yeah, they that's, put very that's what I heard. It. All the well, the, no, no the, well, I mean, yes, the, it, it's definitely they're they're pretty. Lo- I I'm having a oh, great time, too. but it's definitely not like they they, they could have done more. Yeah. But um, they they they, did, they they changed some stuff though. I I know that I read that they were using an emulator somewhere, but the the icons use the Switch official button icons, so they must have done something to the you're source right, right. code to include like they, different uh, textures. They or swapped out like um, so, they swapped out button files, button textures. I guess they're just textures to to match um, yeah. the the Switch controls. Uh, so they did do that, which is actually really nice. And since they were putting 
kind of not that much yeah. effort into it. But that's that's really it's nice that they did that. Just because I feel that this one is designed for fans, pure and simple. And it really should have been. And like it really, they really, added. they really should have done. Well, I mean, like I'm, I'm sure you guys have noticed, it's it's not even in widescreen. It's still no, in uh, it's still right. in four by three. Yeah, because. Actually, that was the yeah. main thing I was going to bring up where I like appreciate the sentiment of like, let's have it in the original aspect ratio. I think that's pretty defensible, but there's another part of me that's like, but it would be kind of cool to see Mario 64 in 16 yeah. by nine. I'm sure it would clip sometimes, but it, it might be kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people wanted that. And the reason it's not like that is because the original Mario engine literally couldn't it just couldn't uh, display in that in that resolution, so it doesn't. So going back, is, to... I mean, it's a it's a it's a bummer, but yeah, so nobody wants to go. I mean, you can't get other than playing an N sixty four. You can't get a more pure experience of the game. So I mean, that's that's the that's that's the bright they side of the. They coin. don't want to find a programmer to to. They don't want to find a programmer to go through like a bunch of C plus plus six code <laughs> yeah, or right. whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there actually there's uh, the biggest tell that. Uh, not to, I mean, not 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 to shit on this collection too much because I actually am really glad that they put it out. Right. Uh, but the the biggest tell that uh, they didn't put very much effort into it is when you go to like the title selection screen, all the splash art for what game or what soundtrack you're going to choose to play uh, is not in the same resolution, and in fact is just, and this. I believe has been confirmed was just grabbed from the Wikipedia articles of Oof. each game. Oof, that is that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I would have done if I was in charge. Yeah, like no, I, like, I, I, I agree with you, Luke. Five hundred dollars. That to do is a hundred percent what I would have done if someone said, "Make a title screen for this game. You have a day." That's that kind of like sucks too. I mean, think about the last All Star Collection. There's like this theater that opens up, and there's all the you know, the, the, oh, the Super also, Mario family. And, and, they know, also redid all the sprites for the first two Mario games. Yeah, like that shows some thoughtfulness. And they kept all the games intact and, you know, they, they tried to do something for the fans. But hearing that is sad. Well, anyway, going back to Dare Dare Docs, <laughs> I think I was the only one that probably played through the whole level. So what I will say to wrap up this level is that the eight red coin challenge is fun. It's the only thing that's fun, like actually you know, challenging and fun in this level. And it's not underwater. You're um, basically what happens is when you get uh, Bowser's sub out, uh, you, you, there's these poles that appear from the ceiling and you have to uh, jump um, from pole to pole and collect those eight uh, coins. And it's actually really fun and really satisfying. Um, and it just kind of sucks. I think, you know, it, it just kind of sucks that they made a, a better water level early on um, and they threw this in there. I would say the only other good thing about this level is that you're, you're, you're kind of tricked into thinking that you're going to uh, fight Bowser because he, it appears, um, <laughs> you know, before you, you go into Bowser's level and that part's cool. It's not a painting, you know, it's just like this blue, yeah. weird, psychedelic portal. And I, I like that, uh, you know, aesthetically speaking. So that's what I'll, I'll kind of say uh, about Dire Dire Docs. Um, so the last thing we'll talk about before we get to Bowser is and to complete Dire Dire Docs, 
uh, all the challenges, you need the uh, disappearing cap. I'm not sure if you have another name for it. Um, and so you basically have to drain the uh, outside of the castle and go into that level. The level itself is awesome because of the height, I think. You know, just you're, 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 once you jump into the level and you've just dropped all the way down, you know, there's the scale of the level, you can really feel it. You know, in the eight uh, red coin challenge is pretty difficult if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and mm -hmm. so like, I, I do think that was, it's a very thrilling experience um, trying to navigate your way, collecting eight coins to the button to unlock that last um, Mario cap. Yeah. I, yeah, I think this is my favorite of the cap levels. I don't have that much to say about it, to be honest. I just, I like the red coin challenge. I like that you can do it on the first try, but you probably won't because it's hard. Um, I, I like the initial drop down and then, you know, the series of flipping platforms. It's just, it's, it's just hard enough to get between them. And, uh, and then you get the invisibility cap, which is my least favorite of the three caps, but I still, uh, it's, it's fun to have and it's fun to use every now and then. So, uh, yeah, that's all I really got for this one. I don't actually have much more to add. Um, you guys kind of summed up how I feel about it. It's it's not that memorable a level, and the invisibility cap is not that memorable a power up. No, it's just because it's not utilized like the metal and the you know the same power. You know the the, the feeling of power isn't there because it's you know you're not supposed to feel powerful. You're supposed to feel invisible, which you do. But then that's about it. You're invisible. That's that's it. That's right. That, you know, and it gets it gets you to where you want to go, because um, they've designed things maybe better with it. I think so. But yeah, I do like in Dire Dire Docks. Uh, before we jump into Bowser, you do become a metal Mario, an invisible metal Mario, and that that part's awesome. Like that to me, combining caps. Like I want, yeah. I want to. I wish there was more Metal that. Mario flying, flying Metal Mario would be amazing. You know. So what you're saying is you want to fall. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, now I I uh, I I will say my criticism of both the invisibility cap and the Metal Mario cap is that they kind of both feel like they are a little too obsessed with just the time limit of, for both of them. Totally. Now, with Metal Mario, it's more fun because you're doing something fundamentally different because you have to sink into water and you have to deal with that timing and how that's different. Whereas with the invisibility cap, you, you really nothing is really fundamentally different about how you're interacting. You can just go through some stuff. However, the, the, the star in Boo's mansion where you have to wall jump and then get through that, uh, that invisible wall... Uh, I love that star. It's challenging to get to in time, um, but I don't know that it necessarily... I mean, the, it, a button that has a time limit would have done the same thing, to be totally honest. But So it brings us to our final uh, level, which is Bowser 2, or Lava Bowser. Uh, so basically, this is kind of the same color palette, the same vibe as Lethal Lava Land, except you're going up a series of platform. Like the whole level, I guess, is this moving platform that, that's going up and down in a sense. Um, and it's just like the other Bowser level and, you know, the, the final Bowser level where, you know, the platforms are very tiny, you know, like there's a lot that can go wrong as you're climbing up to, to get Bowser. 
the, the eight, eight red coin challenge is hard um, just because you're navigating in and out of lava and they're just tucked in these like fiery places, these little places that you're just, you're probably going to get some damage. Like I, I, I definitely got, didn't go to the level not collecting damage. Um, and then of course you get to Bowser himself, who's more challenging. Um, you know, you, you get to him and he can pound the platform. It sends the level sloping. It sends Mario sloping. You're like, what the fuck? Like he's shooting, you know, fire, he's faster. And so, you know, the, the levels, the levels challenging Bowser's challenging. And I, I, I love every Bowser level in general. I think they're designed to be frustrating and they're designed to, to have a, a bit of claustrophobia with uh, Mario. So I, that's what I thought about uh, Bowser 2. So my thoughts about Bowser 2. Uh, my favorite part of this is uh, some of the... They have this kind of like, oh, um, spring platforms, I guess, that will kind of like they'll shrink up first and then they'll shrink down. Um, and you kind of only realize it after you like see the coins moving through it. And you're like, oh, this whole structure is kind of like... Um, like a like one of those instruments. What are those called? Accordions. Whatever. It's just like oh. a spring going up and down. <laughs> yeah, an accordion. It's like an accordion. Um, <laughs> but um, I I don't find this one to be honest to be quite as memorable as the first one. But I do think it's still pretty well designed. I like the parts where there's some movement incorporated, and you can. Uh, it, there are some very frantic moments where you fall in the lava, and then something might come down just fast enough, and you barely survive, and th those moments are enjoyable. I, and I think the big kind of twist is when you get to Bowser, and you're like, oh, you're just going to stomp at me like a big dumb turtle again. And then he jumps, and the whole thing flips, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> I was not expecting that. Um, so, yeah, overall, I, it didn't make a, a huge impression on me compared with the first one, but uh, I think it's still very well executed platforming challenges and uh it's fun to navigate through and then you know fighting bowser a second time they i think they do just enough to change how he behaves that it doesn't just feel like you're going over the same ground so yeah uh no actually i really uh contrary i actually really enjoy the second bowser level uh a lot more than the first one the first bowser level asks you to uh basically demonstrate that, yes, I know how to move within the game world. And that's pretty much all it asks of you. You know, yes, I understand that sometimes platforms are timed and that I need to hit a button to make something happen. And that's fine. That's fun. Uh, especially when you're, you know, after eight stars, when you're really just getting your toes wet. But what I really like about the second voucher level is that it says, oh, no to hell with you this is a challenge like like our playtesters said nah it's too easy to get to bowser and we said oh really and they even kind of tacitly acknowledge that by one of the first things you come across is a free life so they're just like take as many tries as you want we know it's tough so just do it just just go like we know we made it tough go at it and I love that. I love when, uh, especially when there's no checkpoints, I love when designers say, we know we have made this level tough, but let us not make it additionally frustrating by just throwing unnecessary roadblocks at you. Right. And I, I got to say, I mean, I played that for at least three game overs. 
because I was trying to go fast like a goof. <laughs> when I when I started slowing down, I did a lot better because I'm not that good at that game. But yeah, no. Yeah, I, I really, I really genuinely enjoyed that the the verticality of it and uh, the timing of it and how you really had to position Mario, especially on the the rising and sinking lava platforms, like uh, showed up in Lethal Lava Land. Uh, no, I, I I thought it was I, I thought it was great actually. Um, second Bowser level is I, is one of the most fun times I've actually had in the game. I should say just in general, what, what I'm most one thing I'm very just impressed from a sheer like technology standpoint because this is one of the first games that had you know 3D objects that you were expected to navigate on, and like a pretty substantial number of them are very dynamic and feel very physically convincing. Like it'll shift around as you're moving around on it. And, and uh, the, the, the seesawing stuff and Mario very convincingly moves and behaves on these platforms, which is a huge challenge. I mean, I it's, there's a reason you don't see a lot of games even today doing that, let alone back then. It's because like, having objects that are connected to one another and expected to realistically behave while touching one another is is it's a very difficult challenge and i think you know sometimes the hitboxes will be a little wonky and you'll see mario kind of yeah. go, da, 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 da. <laughs> but most of the time in this game it, it it works really well and the platforms and mario very convincingly interact with one another and you know this level and and uh, lethal lava land in particular i think exemplify that the, the thing that well we can we can now move into our closing thoughts um but i think you feel that the most when bowser stomps on the platform you know and you're just like it's exactly <laughs> what it should feel like like if a huge dense object came crashing down and it is exaggerated um you know onto this platform you know you would go sloping down and you start panicking kind of for your life and i think um for me the levels that we went over today they they create that tension that i love about mario games in general like i love playing mario platformers um to to sweat you know the, the more the level the more you get into the game the more it should make your palms sweaty the you know the more the spaces feel kind of enclosed the more uh you've got to use all of Mario's actions and I think you know with every level we went over today you know Mario feels more liberated in the, the second act um, but with that liberation and, and I think that was the theme of today's show if I could point to one is that you know you've got to like think about do I want to have a ton of fun or want to cautiously uh, approach each star um, you know it's really up to you so I thought you know, this whole act uh, is when the game just becomes so much better and just so much more fun on every level, um, which is what I enjoyed most about uh, this week playing. Yeah. So my closing thought, actually, um, you guys have mentioned the difficulty a lot, which is which is cool. And I, and I, I have enjoyed the challenge that a lot of the levels put, put up. But the real takeaway for me is a lot of what I was saying about the uh, in the first week about the spaces meaning something and feeling interconnected and and like it matters how far that wall is from that other wall. Uh, I think that's just really been amplified this week. And one thing I've really noticed as well 
is all of Mario's actions are so well-defined and they have such a specific usability and purpose to them, which, um, again, recently I've been playing Mario Odyssey. In Mario Odyssey, it kind of starts to feel like there's just a thousand ways to jump really high. Like, you can do the crouch jump, you can do the side jump, you can do a stomp jump, and they don't really feel like they have a lot of specific individual purpose. Whereas on Mario 64, you have... A small handful of jumps. You have the triple jump, which you can go really high and really uh, and, and fairly far with. And then you have the backwards flip, which is great if something's sneaking up behind you or if you're on a tight platform and need to get up somewhere really high. You have the side flip, which is great if you have too much momentum going in one direction. And then you have the long jump, which obviously is if you need to go across a very specific area. So the way these very um, specific actions, as well as the Mario's power-ups, interface with the interconnected feeling of the spaces and how you can kind of treat them like a sandbox and kind of constantly plan and improvise as needed to successfully navigate these spaces. I think it's what makes it work really well. And as you add additional terrors and hazards to the environments, um, it just creates this the additional stakes of like, oh, that emergency long jump I had to do to get away from that stomping thing better work out or I'm going to fall into a pit of sand. So, um, uh, yeah, I think that that's my big takeaway this week is just the actions interfacing with a higher stakes sandbox environment. It's just very successfully yeah. done. I totally agree with that. Ben? No, I have no dog in this fight. <laughs> ben out. No, uh, I really actually enjoyed this week in particular um, <clears throat> because, well, for one, this is, I kind of think we all agree on this. This is just sort of the best part of Mario 64 is like the the creamy middle of the game man it was just i haven't played this game in so long and i'm still so bad at it like guys i'm really bad at this game it's okay man but i love it man no i just love it seriously like it's it's fun to do and and i'm 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 frustrated a lot of the time with mostly just like like fine control but that's really just something to learn how to get around um but I am consistently impressed every time I boot this game up. Every time I'm like, you know what, I'll go for a star. Just, you know, I have an hour. I'll go for a star. How much fun I have even not getting one. Just because it's fun. It's fun, fun, fun consistently to just exist in that world. It's, it's fun to make Mario walk. And that's just, I, I, it's rare. It, you don't, I don't know, you don't, you don't. I hate to be like one of those, you know, in the old days kind of guys, especially because I'm not that old. But you really don't, you don't, you don't see people take that much care with those fine of details these days. Right. Like, and it's, it's nice that it's nice that it holds up. Focusing on, so, yeah. like, I think what you all are saying, focusing on the fundamentals and making that uh, where you derive the sense of adventure or fun from. Um, and then what you're saying, Luke, with the intention behind movements and the intention behind objects, you know, it's, there's just not a million different things going on and that mask kind of like how bad a game could be, you know, it's, 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 it, it's because of that simplicity. And I think, you know, to, to bring it back to the soundtrack as well, 
it's just that you know the composition just adds to this sense of pop fun you know if i could i could label it as that you know like the colors are primary the the music's catchy it's poppy it's you know <laughs> and and it and i think that's kind of exemplified in in the in the levels that um that we talked about this week so uh that'll wrap up uh the podcast for today uh next week we will be completing super mario 64 which i'm actually really sad about it is one of my most favorite games of all time and i've just i love it but uh the next week will be challenging so ben if you had if you felt challenged i the levels are just hard you know moving forward but they're again extremely fun so We'll see you back next week, and I hope... Real quick. Yeah. Uh, so this is actually... Well, you said I felt challenged earlier, and I did. But I've never actually played any of the levels past second Bowser. It's going to be fun. So... Fuck me, I guess. <laughs> I... T- I don't know if they're as fun as these ones, but they're weird and in a really good yeah, way. They're weird. I, we won't give anything away. I agree. It's just like they're they're big. That's what I'll say. Well, I know about the clock one. I know the clock one is frustrating. Yeah, they're big. But they're that's frustrating. Just about all I know. And sometimes they're not fun, but the challenge is enormous. And then the, the payoff, you're just. There's one in particular that is one of. Yeah, we do, we yeah, we'll talk about yeah, it next week. There's one in particular. I <laughs> so wait to thanks, talk about. we'll talk about it next week. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Yeah, goodbye. Thank you for listening. This podcast was edited and mixed by Brianna Algren. Music was composed by Luke Brindazzo, and of course, hosted by myself, Anthony Cortez. Luke Rendazzo, and Ben Scambos. If you liked this podcast and like to continue listening, you can find us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts on most channels. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.